Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. That makes us Stuff You Should Know. Jerry's in the other room? Yes. Being quiet. As commanded. Yeah. Um. Yeah. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm just I'm great. I feel like we haven't mentioned Jerry much in a while, so she's got a character playing. She's a character on our TV pilot. <laughs> There's an actress playing her. Right. But Although she, you fought to have that removed, right? All over the place. I was like, <laughs> we need less Jerry, less Jerry. Not true. No, it's not true. So, uh, revenge. I'm a big revenge guy. Oh, you are, huh? Well, no. That sounds bad. I'm a big comeuppance guy. Injustice, oh, injustice guy. Sideline rooters? You know, like, you know, when people get their comeuppance and justice is served, I'm very, that's a very, very satisfying experience for me. Well, friend, you would have done well to have lived in Babylon around the 1760s BC. Oh, yeah, with the gardens. I love that stuff. The, yeah, there were there the hanging were, gardens. I would have been all over it. Yeah, gardens figured heavily, prominently in Babylon. Sure, um, especially Chuck. I think you would have enjoyed living under King Hammurabi. Yeah, the code. He's the guy who came up with the code. We take it, you know, that whole eye for an eye thing that you would stand on the sidelines sure. and be like, "Take out his eye! Take out his <laughs> eye!" He no, took the I'm, other guy's eye. I'm not like that because people are going to think I'm some. Violent person, no, you come up and not. can come in many forms. I know exactly what you're talking about. You know I'm just I mean. giving you a hard like time. Shawshank, uh, or Brooks hung himself. No, come up and against the warden. Like that's satisfying to me to see that in a movie. I don't remember what happened to the warden. Refresh my memory. Well, he, en- he ended up. Uh, boy, should I not spoil it? I think it's fine. He ended up shooting himself as the cops descended mm-hmm. upon him. What did he do wrong? He, what did he do wrong? He held Andy there for years, knowing he was innocent. He had the guy shot and killed, who Andy had tutored to get his GED, who had information oh, yeah. that Billy would get his release. From, like, wasn't he on Melrose Place or something like that? He, he, or Ally McBeal? Yeah, I think it was Ally McBeal. And then he uh, uh, squandered money from, uh, what do you call it? when you A pension? Uh, yeah, not squandered. He uh, Bet? He, uh, no, Spend he it on stole candy? money, essentially. Embezzled. Embezzled money from the prison coffers. I, wasn't the warden played by Burl Ives or something? I, thought, <laughs> I remember him as like a grandfatherly type, a very supporting, nurturing fellow. No, he's played by that guy that like can't ever play anything again huh. because of that movie. Weird. I have a list of revenge movies we can go over later. Okay. Oh, yeah, there's plenty of those. Remember, there's a whole exploitation subgenre. Yeah. Like, I spit on your grave. That's on the list. Um, but anyway, back to the Code of Hammurabi. We take for, for granted these days, Chuck, the eye for an eye. But this is literally the beginning of that. Yeah. And um, the beginning of systemic, uniform, uh, socially sanctioned revenge. Sure. That's the justice system. It's revenge. Yeah. It's like you did something, and we're going to get you back for that. You're going to be punished. It's revenge. Yeah. That's the whole basis of the justice system. Yeah. Pe- people can hem and haw about uh, reform and stuff like that, but come on. 
It, it's revenge. It's, it's punishment. It's for the basis your of crime. Yeah, sure. it's reason. I'm it's not saying it should or shouldn't be like that. I'm just saying. Right. You can you can dress it up all you want. You can do whatever you 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 can to it. But when you boil it down, I think is what we're both saying. Yeah. The whole basis of the justice system is revenge. Yeah. And the Code of Hammurabi is the beginning of this, and that it's also the beginning of the eye for an eye thing. If I may, there's a couple. Like the Code of Hammurabi kind of deals with stuff that people were dealing with at the time. Sure. And it goes far beyond like if you kill somebody, you're killed. It gets kind of specific. One of my favorites is if a fire break out in a house and someone who comes to put it out cast his eye upon the property of the owner of the house and take the property of the master of the house, he shall be thrown into that selfsame fire. So a looter, essentially. You get thrown into the fire you came to help put out and then basically shirked your moral obligation by stealing instead of helping fight the fire. That's my favorite. Also, there's a lot about runaway slaves, harboring runaway slaves, sure. stealing slaves. If you find a couple of slaves and you want to bring them back to the owner, mm-hmm. um, the owner owes you two shekels of silver. Uh, it deals with inheritance law. If a son who inherits his father's land is still too young and can't take possession of his fields, yeah. a third of the field will go to the mother who basically is paid to raise him. Although I think she's going to do that anyway. Sure. But it's a uniform code, especially dealing with revenge, right? Yeah. I say all this to tell you that revenge is very old, Chuck. It is. And that's the code. I mean, I bet Tuk Tuk took revenge over, you know, the caveman who wronged him. In yes. Very primitive ways. I'm sure there was always revenge. And depending on how evolved Tuk Tuk's brain was, if he had a um, dorsal striatum, striatum, why did I not get that the first time? <laughs> if he had a dorsal striatum, which is uh, governs in feelings of enjoyment and satisfaction, yeah, he would have probably liked carrying out that vengeance, yeah, because that uh, our pleasure center goes off when we um, carry out acts of revenge, especially when we think of it. But that's why sometimes we will yeah. go to such great lengths to carry out vengeance because it feels good. See, I'm not a vengeance carry outer because I don't really get wronged like i've never had any huge like wrongings against me i would knock on wood at this point if i were you just did but um i like seeing it played out mainly in movies you like standing on the sidelines and shouting for the person's eye to be taken out (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) that's me (laughs) do you want to talk about some cases of revenge because i mean there's there's it's one thing to just say hey you know that's great that guy got his comeuppance but there's some really legendary and yeah. some very grim cases of revenge in the history of humanity. And we have covered, well, you covered 10 in your article. Yeah. We're going to cover what? Seven, eight? Six. Six. Something like that. I like, we haven't done a top 10 in a while. It's been a very long while. Actually, I can't we've, even tell we've you never done a top 10 because we only, only cover six or seven. Well, we eight. haven't based one on a top 10 is what you Correct. Uh, I like the Spam King one. Should we start there? Might as well. He's number 10. Alan Rolski uh, was known as the Spam King because uh, he was an entrepreneur in Michigan who was one of the guys, the yeah. main dudes, signing you up for all those spam emails that we all love. Before the dot-com bubble even burst, Verizon yeah. had him in court for bulk email spamming. But, dude, he's got a rap sheet a mile long. I looked at his, his like, since this is before the spam thing. Like yeah. In the 90s, he had all sorts of like fraud and felonies. And, real estate. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he's just kind of a hustler kind of dude. Very much. You know? It's a good way to put it. Uh, but he got his comeuppance in the way of a junk email of his own when his address was leaked online. 
and then really leaked online. Well, the the whole way it came out was there was a uh, in I think the Detroit Free Press, maybe one of the um, one of the local papers, did a um, a spotlight, like just kind of a soft touch spotlight on a spacious eight thousand square foot home. Yeah, that he paid seven hundred dollars for because it was Detroit. <laughs> Sorry. This one was on you, man. <laughs> I was just going to leave Detroit alone, but go ahead. Yeah. So uh, so this guy is showing off his, this man who's been referred to as, quote, vermin and, quote, scum. Yeah. Is showing off his 8,000 square foot house built on bulk email and spam. I bet he regrets that. And somehow I, c- I couldn't go back and find out his address leaked. Like in the, in the article, it basically gave away his physical address. Right. And that was it. The trolls got him. The trolls got him and uh, signed him up for basically everything under the sun as far as junk mail, like physical mm-hmm. uh, junk mail goes, which we've done. Wow. We did podcasts in junk mail. Remember that? We did. Remember, we're like, get rid ago. of it. And that one guy was like, no, we're employed <laughs> by junk mail. So uh, at, the, at the peak of his uh, junk mail receivership, he was getting hundreds of pounds and he was every day. Yeah. And he was pretty upset. I mean, I saw interviews with him today where he was like, I'm being harassed and he was trying to get courts to do something. And they were just like, no, mm-hmm. come up. I wish we had a trombone. <laughs> yeah. We should spice this up a little. Jerry, a trombone, please. She's like, thank you, Jerry. All right. Did we cover him? Uh, well, it, you, I, he's in jail now. Yeah, he's inmate 19509-03. Wow, you did your research, because that was not in the article. We could send him a letter to Morgantown Federal Correctional Institution. Yeah, he, he was uh, some, some junk mail. Was he, do, he was, inside, was it insider trading, or he created a pump-and-dump scheme? Some sort of penny stock yeah. manipulation scheme is what I wrote. Yeah, and he's still in jail. Well, it was 2009, and he got a 51-month sentence. Yeah, but you know, sometimes that doesn't mean much. No. Like, it served, time served. You're free. Yeah. You know? But yeah, he... Uh, He's still there, though. He definitely made some cash doing bulk email. It was clever at the time. It was just annoying. Yeah, sure. But hey, we all got Viagra out of it, so... We did. <laughs> I didn't get mine. <laughs> uh, 47 Ronan? Okay, yeah. So my nephew's middle name is Ronan, and I'm still not convinced that uh, my sister and her husband know what a Ronan is. I, I have a friend who named his kid Ronan. Does he know what Ronan is? I'll have to ask him. He's a fan of the show. Well, uh, what's, what's his name? I don't think he spells it this way, though. I think he spells it with an A. What's his name? Braxton. Braxton. Do you know what a Ronin is? <laughs> Answer us. Want me to text him? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't, yeah, I don't think he spells it the same way. Well, let's tell everybody. A Ronin is a masterless samurai. Yeah. At this point, I feel like possibly, if you really want to do some digging... Press pause on this one or just mark down your time code. Yeah. Go back and listen to our How Samurai Work podcast. That was a great one. Excellent episode. Yeah. And it will help you along with the rest of this. But if you don't feel like doing that, go back and listen to it anyway later on. But we'll give you the crib sheet. Basically, a samurai is pledged to the death to a single master, a daimyo. Yeah. Right? And... Uh, the, da- the That involves the samurai protecting the daimyo with his life. That involves the samurai carrying out vengeance if the daimyo is wronged or murdered or anything like that. Um, and this is a lifetime contract. This is a lifetime affiliation. Remember, they were the opposite of Ninja, yeah. which is also a really good episode, too. They were, they were just the hired guns, right? 
Yes. If I remember correctly. The ninja were. Yes. The samurai were very loyal. Yes. Military advisors, just cool guys. They had huge hammer pants, too. <laughs> um, and, and in this particular case of the 47 Ronin, uh, during the Edo period, which was the early beginning of the 18th century in Japan, um, a man named Asano Naganori had uh, some Ronin assigned to him, or that he had taken on. 47 of them. And uh, Naganori was uh, headed to Kyoto to hang out, which was the capital at the time. And um, he saw a man he didn't like. And still to this day, no one's quite sure. I was going to ask you that. No one knows. Okay. No one has any idea what the problem is. But these guys have beef, basically, as as, uh, Biggie Smalls would have put it. They threw down. They did. Uh, Well, yeah, Naganori pulled his sword out and slashed at the man. Didn't cause any harm or whatever, but this is Kyoto. The seat of power in Japan. Yeah. And he's just taking a swipe at some guy in front of everybody important. Bad news. And in Japan, this is a really big deal. Well, yeah, so much so that they uh, decided that he should commit seppuku, which we have covered before as well. Was that a separate one? No. What was that in? Was that in Samurai? Yeah. I think we really went into graphic detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we talked about the steps of seppuku because it's very specific. Right. So, again, go listen to that episode. Yeah. Um, and he did commit seppuku. Yeah, that here's, day. Here's what I don't quite get. Why, why didn't the guy, Yoshinaka, who he attacked, why didn't his ronin come after Well, he was dead? Why didn't his ronin come after? He wasn't dead. No, no, no. Naganori is now dead. Right. So why did his people feel the need to take revenge when he's the one that started it? That is an Excellent question, and that's what led to the deaths of these 47 ronin. Okay. So let's, let's talk about the story, and then we'll go into that, right? Okay. These ronin um, basically hung out and waited two full years. Well, you know what they say. What? Revenge is a meal best served cold. Very nice. One of my favorite sayings. Is it really? One of my favorites? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Just I just think it's witty. and it's, you, you think it's... a lot about revenge, don't you? No, I just like that <laughs> saying. It's a good one, you know? It's true. I'm with you, yeah. It's like two years later, they don't know it's coming. Yeah, and those Japanese winters get pretty cold, so yeah. it had two two winters had passed by the time the 47 Ronin decided to go pay a visit to the other guy. And they went, and uh, y- Yoshinaka was the other guy. Uh, they went to his house, um, staged an attack on his compound. Yeah. Found him in an outhouse and said, hey, uh, we will give you the chance to commit seppuku. Here's the same dagger that our master killed himself with. <laughs> right there Do on the, the toilet. Right thing. And the guy just sat there and stared at him, and they gave him a beat and then said, okay. And they cut his head off. Yeah. And they took his head in a bucket and took it to their master's grave. Yeah. Well, they cleaned it up. Did they? Yeah, apparently they washed it for some reason, I guess. It was... Well, they're very tidy. Sure. They're a very tidy people, the yeah. Japanese are. Um, and they took it to their master's grave and showed him the head and said, here you go. And then they took it to the uh, Bakufu, the ruling council, and said, we're turning ourselves in. And the Bakufu the said. The honorable thing. Yes. Maybe. There's a lot of discrepancy about what's, what was the right thing to do or what wasn't, even at the time and still today. Right. But the Bakufu said, okay, go kill yourselves. You have to. The, we were down to 46 here. One supposedly was killed in the attack, whatever. But um, 46 Ronin committed suicide themselves. A lot of people died because this guy slashed at the other guy. Now, there's many schools of thought in this act of revenge. Yeah. The Ronin should have immediately gone to um, Yoshinaka's house and killed him. 
that may have gotten them out of the sentence to commit seppuku. Another school what if they hadn't thought, waited? Yeah, if they had been like, oh, well, let's carry out this vengeance right now. Oh, gotcha. Another school thought is that they shouldn't have done anything. Sure. That the bakufu had made a decision that right. their master had to kill himself, and they had to abide by it. Sure. The samurai didn't see it that way. Well, that was their code, though. It's yeah. not exactly the law of the land. No, it's true. Um, and that I think that connection between master and samurai supersedes anything the Bakufu came up with. But the last one, the hardest one for me to swallow, but it's possibly correct, is that the 47 ronin, or the 46, should have, after they took uh, Yoshinaka's head, committed seppuku themselves right there. And uh, that yeah. it was a grave act of cowardice to turn themselves in because it showed that they possibly hoped for a slap on the wrist. Interesting. Yeah. Or at the very least, the cutting off of their wrists. Yeah. Wow. Well, and there is... Japanese uh, style is what that is. You point out the 47th Ronin, uh, Terasaka Kichiman. Mm -hmm. Um, There are reports that he was young and pardoned because of his age. Yep. And that uh, he lived to be 87. Yeah. Or he died in the attack. And I think there were more than 47, but there were 47 that assembled two years later and carried out revenge. Right. I believe. And there have been countless stories and movies and stuff about the 47 Ronin. Yeah, including the movie The 47 Ronin. (laughs) There you go. That was some big revenge, man. That was a roller coaster ride. Should we cover the the Huguenots, the massacre? That one's pretty grim. Oh, we'll go over it real quick. I like the last line of the. Did you? I went back and reread it. I was like, that was a... Yeah, little little nugget there at the end. <laughs> we'll save it. Uh, during the Protestant Reformation, there was a lot of stuff going on uh, in France, mainly uh, a lot to be lost, as in 50% of the real estate in France allegedly was owned by the clergy of oh, the yeah. Catholic Church. So they had a lot at stake. Yeah. So when the Protestants came a calling, they were like, uh, I don't know about you guys. Maybe we should kill you. It, yeah, there was a, a big, big problem between, there was a big rift between the Catholics and the Protestants, and it was largely over land, power. Sure. You know, because if it's all controlled by the Catholics, that's hunky-dory for the Catholics. But then now if you have to divide everything in half, it's not a, it's kind of a problem. Um, so by 1572, uh, in August, in Paris, it was a hot one, and there was a huge wedding between a uh, French Protestant aristocrat, right? No, a French Huguenot aristocrat. Yeah, and a uh, French Catholic well, which is noble woman. Yeah, okay, a French and, Huguenot, right? Yeah, and they were not. This was not a marriage that was endorsed by the papacy at all. No, it was but, al- already really controversial. It was a huge, huge affair on the social calendar, and so Paris was swarming with both Huguenots and Catholics that were there at this wedding, possibly. Most awkward wedding of all time. Like sworn enemies <laughs> in the same church, right? Yeah. The marriage goes off without a hitch as far as I know. And um, almost immediately after it, Charles IX, who is the king of France, a devout Catholic, said, um, why don't we just take this opportunity to kill the military leader of the Huguenots since he's here in town? Yeah. And they did. And let's not stop there. No. Let's just keep killing people. And over the course of a week or so, I, I saw... All kinds of numbers. Sure. Well, they didn't keep very good records in the 1570s. No, but legend has it that the rivers in Paris were so full of dead bodies that they could not eat fish for months. Yeah. Because of disease of dead bodies. Thousands, tens of thousands of French Protestants murdered. 
Tens of women and children. To a hundred thousand. It started with the one guy, then it moved throughout Paris. Any Huguenot found was killed, and then it spilled over into the countryside, where basically um, the the French king Charles the Ninth carried out genocide against the Huguenots in France. So that was a big deal. Yeah, it sure was. All right, <clears throat> moving on. We're skipping over, I want to say, Dave Carroll as per Chuck's request. Yes, but you can read that in the article. We're skipping Aaron Burr because you can hear about him or you may have just heard about him in our dueling podcast. Yeah, good one. And uh, let's go to Dr. Harley Crippen. Oh, we're doing him? Oh, you want to skip him? No, no, that's fine. You you take him, though. Okay. Because I, I, uh, I thought we agreed not to do him. Okay. Uh, Dr. Uh, Holly Harvey Crippen was a homeopathic doctor in London. Had a concert singer wife named Cora, uh-huh. and he I was guess a pipsqueak. Did you see his? Picture? No, was he tiny? I mean, he was a pipsqueak. So he was mad because he's small, and apparently he didn't like his wife's voice because he took up with another lady. Mm-hmm. She found out about it and said, "You know what, jerk? I'm out of here. I'm the one that has the money. Mm-hmm. I'm taking it with me." Mm-hmm. And after that, she went missing. Of course, he says, "Hey, I'm going to take my mistress. I'm going to move to." Uh... Well, I'm sorry. He sold her jewelry first. He told everybody that she was on a concert tour in Los Angeles yeah. and died there and was buried it's in the U.S. pretty easy to figure so out. Say I mean, goodbye, Cora. Yeah. So uh, he set sail uh, for the U.S. with his new mistress, his new, I don't know if they were married, probably not his new wife. And um, the friends of the wife started saying, friends of Cora started saying, wait a minute, this is pretty shady. Somebody should look into this dude because uh-huh. we think he has blood on his hands. Uh, he was arrested when a body turned up in his cellar and hanged. However, in 2007, many, many years later, because it was 1910, they found forensic evidence that uh, found out that not only was that not his wife's body in the basement. Who he was convicted of and hanged for. Yeah. But be, per, uh, based on that evidence. Perhaps a man, yeah. not even a woman at all. So the, they think possibly Crippen may have murdered this other person and gotten caught for that because his wife went missing. And they think they murdered her as well and just disposed of her body. He did. He did, yes. He supposedly acted alone. Or or, um, he didn't kill this man, but he did kill his wife and ended up getting hanged anyway uh, as an act of vengeance beyond the grave, right? Yeah. For killing his wife. Or he didn't kill anybody and was hanged wrongly. Right. Just vengeance twisted all up. Yeah, that... What is wrong with you? <laughs> okay. Let's do Lorena Bobbitt. This is a good one because this is in our, our immediate memory. The 90s. The 90s, the crazy 90s, grunge, flannel, mm-hmm. and dismembered penises flying yeah. out a car window. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. John Wayne Bobbitt was not a model husband. No, and I really want to stress this because when I, I was like, well, when I was thinking of this, Lorena Bobbitt was the first one that came to mind. Sure. And then I did a little more research. I was like, good God, she had a really rough life. Yeah. Um, she was uh, allegedly the victim of a lot of spousal abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse. Um, she was an immigrant, and her husband supposedly used that against her to manipulate right. her to keep control of her. Didn't speak great English at the right. time. Um and there was uh, allegedly a lot of marital rape in that marriage as well. Yeah. Um, including the night of, um, well, I don't know when it was, but it was 1993 
when supposedly Mrs. Bobbitt said that her husband, John Wayne Bobbitt, came home drunk, assaulted her, and then raped her, and then passed out. And apparently this was one in a, str- a long string of these um, encounters. Right. And she'd had enough. So she got a knife. And while he was sleeping, Chuck... Cut off m- more than half of his penis. A significant portion. <laughs> more than half. And Although, if you ask me, 5% would be a significant portion. 5%, that's like a zipper accident. Yeah, but it just nothing needs to be going on down there. No, I agree. I, I'm, I'm saying in general. I mean, I'm not saying he did or didn't deserve it. I'm not weighing in on that. <laughs> no, I, I see your point. He was a big jerk. I'm not saying people should do this, of course. No, I, I feel like we should stay out of this little pool right here. Yes. Because if you do do the research and you do start to kind of see where she was coming from, she was the butt of many a late night joke mm-hmm. for years oh, yeah. and years. Well, and as she, she just became a punchline. But if you look into her story, it was horrific. Yeah, it was very sad. Um, anyway, about 3 a.m., she takes this uh, dismembered member and uh, drives out into the night with it. At some point, rolls down a window in the passenger side and just throws it out into the grass. And by in- some incredible luck... A sheriff's deputy managed to find it. Well, like, not I, I remember they had a lot of sheriff, people looking. Exactly. Yeah. Like there was a missing child or something like that. <laughs> there was a, a multi tens of thousands of dollar search party out looking for a dismembered penis in the grass. And they found it. That's the craziest part to me, right? It's pretty crazy. And then they reattached it. Yep. Put it on ice, reattached it. She says she didn't remember it. She said she was, uh, later on, she said she was driving with. The uh, member in one hand mm-hmm. and a knife in the other, and she said she went to turn the wheel and realized she needed a free hand. Yeah, and that's why she tossed it. Yeah, um, she uh, she went to court. She went to trial. Yeah, and I can't remember what her charge was. It was one of those very clever, like old timey eighteenth century charges. You shall be charged with penis cutting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the charge. Okay. Uh, she was found not guilty uh, for reasons of temporary insanity. Uh, she snapped. After years of abuse, and they said, you're fine. He was acquitted for assault charges on her, but uh, he went on to be uh, convicted later on for more domestic abuse on another wife. In 2003. In 2003. And so they divorced in 1995. Here's the crazy thing. In 1994, he was in a pornographic film called Uncut. Yeah, he was in more than one. And oh, was he? I just knew about the one. Yeah, he was in uh, one called Franken Penis. Oh, okay. I thought Uncut was the one. I thought Franken Penis was the name of Franken something. No, there, there I thought I remember ones. that. Well, there's one called Uncut um, that came out in 1994, and Vince Neil and Lemmy are in it. Lemmy plays a movie. bum, and Vince Neil plays himself. Yeah, he was also in a band called The Severed Parts. No. Yeah. So he was clearly trying to make some money off of this incident, which goes on to show even more about his character. Right. Lorena Bobbitt went in a different direction and founded a um, women's abuse uh, nonprofit called Lorena's Red Wagon, which is an aid organization. Yeah. Um, and she has a little girl now. She's, uh, I don't know if she's remarried, but she's I believe she is. with the father and has a little girl. Uh-huh. And she was actually a key, or, uh, brought to court for attacking her mother after this, too. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And she was let go for that as well. I didn't run into that one. Yeah. Man, nothing's ever black and white, is it? No. It's all gray, Josh. 
It's all gray. The next one's fairly close to black and white as far as revenge goes, Chuck. Yeah, this one is pretty good comeuppance. <laughs> let's, let's hear it, buddy. Anthony uh, Stockelman in 2006 was uh, put in prison for uh, molesting and murdering a 10-year-old girl named Katie Coleman. Mm-hmm. Horrific, horrific incident. Uh, his comeuppance came right away in the case of you're going to jail for life. And it wasn't like uh, there was a lot of did he, didn't he do it. Like, yeah, sure. Apparently it was a slam dunk case. There were um, red carpet fibers that matched the carpet in his mom's house found at the scene. Yeah. His DNA was on the body and on a cigarette butt at the scene. And an eyewitness saw Katie Coleman riding in Anthony Stockelman's pickup truck that day. Yeah, so he copped a deal to avoid the, the death penalty. Mm-hmm. And went to prison for sure. the rest of his life. Went to prison, uh, and unfortunately he went to prison with... Jared Harris, who was a burglary uh, inmate, serving time for burglary, and also Katie Coleman's cousin. Yeah, and because they had a different last name, Indiana Board of Corrections <laughs> missed that this was Katie Coleman's cousin. Yeah, because they would have, did they look to avoid I would scenarios imagine, like that? Sure. Okay, I, I don't would, know the rules. I would but, think there'd be protocol for that kind of thing. Yeah, I would think so. Um, after a couple of months, uh, Stockelman shows up one day for breakfast with a fresh tattoo carved into his head that says Katie's Revenge. Yeah. In very, very big, prominent block letters. Like, his entire forehead is covered in this amateur tattoo. Did you see it? Uh-huh. Yeah, the, the, I think one of the guards ended up posting that and was and got in trouble. Yeah. Posted the photo. So the, the Board of Corrections looked into it, said, oh, we can't implicate the cousin, so who knows who did it? And that was that. Yeah, well, no, he actually... Um, Served extra time for assault. Oh, they got him. When I wrote this, they still hadn't. They yeah. were like, "We can't, we can't find any evidence that it was him." They got him. I'm sure he was like, "Fine, yeah, tack it on." Yeah, he was gonna kill him. He, he, you know, did one of those deals where the dude looks up and all of a sudden this guy's in his cell with the door closed behind him Uh-oh. and put his hands on his throat and said, "I'm either gonna stick you or I'm gonna tattoo your forehead." And he was like, "Tattoo?" Huh. I don't know if he actually gave him the choice. But uh, he, yeah, he had a, you know, a prison tattoo gun that he ditched in the trash, and I can find pictures of it online. Thanks for the follow-up stuff, man. Sure. That's awesome. Well, not awesome for Jared Harris. Not the actor Jared Harris, by the way. Son of Richard Harris. Anthony Stockelman. No, no, no. I mean, Jared Harris is the cousin. Oh, yeah. But he's not the famous actor, son of Jared Har- or uh, Richard Harris. Jared Leto. No. Okay, we're up to our last one. This is all we're doing. This is number six, I think, right? Yeah, which one of these do you want to do? What do you have? I got Dachau and what's the other one? James Annesley. Let's do Dachau. Okay. Am I saying it pr- correctly? Uh, Sure. You say it, and I'll see if I'm saying it correctly. Well, people just say Dachau. Okay. Yeah. You were sort of overdoing it a little bit. Uh, This is one that, you know, Quentin Tarantino... Probably got some inspiration for his movie Inglorious Bastards. And it was in Shutter Island prominently. You know, Tarantino's doing a slave revenge movie next. No, I didn't know that. It's an escaped awesome. slave. And in fact, you could argue that most of his movies are revenge movies. Uh, yeah. Like almost all of them. Pulp I don't Fiction. Know if Reservoir Dogs is revenge, except Harvey well, Keitel executing Tim Roth. And the cop scene. Oh, yeah. With the ear. But that wasn't really revenge. No. That but was Kill just Bill. Torture. Um, Kill Bill's. Th- Total revenge, revenge movie. Yeah. The, the car one was revenge. Yeah. And Glorious Bastards was revenge. Yeah. And now the slave runaway. Pulp runaway Fiction, slave. was there any revenge in there? 
There was more redemption than revenge. Yeah, I mean, well, oh, revenge against the uh, rapists. Oh, yeah, that was big time revenge. I'm going to call in some pipe-hitting blowtorches. Yeah, Yeah, so there's been elements of of revenge, let's at least say that. Okay. Okay, so back to World War II. Did you know that Quentin Tarantino and Alan Ball, the writer of uh, Six Feet Under, have Mm -hmm. an ongoing feud that Tarantino's brought the law into? Really? Apparently, Alan Ball and his husband, or partner, Uh one of the two, um, raise... Like tropical birds in their Los Angeles home. That sounds nice. And they have an aviary, and apparently it's not fully enclosed. And Quentin Tarantino, who lives next door, has to hear birds squawking all day and can't get any work done. Really? So he's like gone to court to Ugh. basically get the court to tell Alan Ball to tell his birds to shut up. Interesting. Isn't it? And they I live actually. Next door to one another. Well, I know where that is then because I used to work for a director that supposedly lived a few houses down from QT. Oh, really? Because when I went and picked him up, he was like, hey, you know who lives right there? Quentin Tarantino. And I guess Alan Ball on the other side. Yeah. Who do you side with? I'm a big fan of both. Oh, yeah, I love Alan Ball and Tarantino. I'm not, I don't think you should keep birds in captivity, so I'm going to go with Tarantino on this. All right. So now back to World War II? Finally. All right. Dachau obviously was one of the sites of the atrocities committed against the Jewish people at their prison camp there. Yeah. Awful, awful things happened. And when the American uh, soldiers of the 45th Thunderbird Army Infantry Division mm-hmm. showed up to take that camp, they exacted a little revenge. Well, one of the they had a huge impetus. There was what was called the death car, the death train, which is 39 rail cars that were on a rail line that were parked basically just inside the camp walls and they were literally overflowing with the dead and dying. Yeah. I think um, almost 3,000 corpses spilling out of these rail cars and that's what these guys came upon, the the uh, members of the Thunderbird Army Infantry, uh, the 45th Thunderbird Division, um, found this and apparently just snapped in what's the worst Army Infantry atrocity carried out by any allied force supposedly uh in world war ii and yes. this is pretty atrocious well i mean they basically there were, there were different reports on what went on i tried to look at a bunch of different ones but we do know that they at one point lined some ss up against the wall yeah mowed them down with machine guns so unarmed by the way and this is also Dachau was the site where a lot of ss officers came to um came to surrender. Right. They weren't even in the camp. This is like, oh, the Americans took this camp. I want to surrender. I'm going to go surrender. Right. And they were executed. And apparently, uh, one report says that some of the U.S. soldiers uh, gave some of the freed inmates guns and, like, shovels and things and said, have at it, fellas. Yeah. And they exacted their own revenge, some of the uh, Jewish inmates. That one I have uh, fewer problems with. Yeah, of course. Um, but apparently General George S. Patton had no problem with any of it. They, they form, they, uh, some of the people there, some of the Army guys, the U.S. Army guys, I would probably say the lion's share, uh, had a problem with what was going on and right. complained, filed a, a report. Uh, and there was a classified Army investigation um, that said, yeah, this happened, and there were about uh, 28 uh, unarmed Germans that were executed at Dachau that day. And, um, you know, 
here's Patton all here's it. all the evidence. Patton threw the stuff in the trash and said, "You guys go home. Forget this ever happened." But one one copy was put in the National Archives. It was mislabeled, and it sat oh, there really? until 1987. And no one had any clue about it until the Boston Globe did like this four or five part series on the Dachau massacre in 2001, and that finally brought it to light. Wow. Yeah. So that's uh, number two. Well, they weren't labeled in order of importance. They were just 10, right? It even says in no particular order. Yeah, because it's kind of sick to say, like, this is the best or this is the worst. Exactly. In cases like this. Um, I did go to Film School Rejects, though, which is a fun website, because I just started thinking about revenge movies. It's a common theme. And they listed, this is their uh, top 10, uh, Commando. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Gladiator. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Friday, Jerry laughed because we both said me. Uh, Friday the 13th. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those kids watched her son drown. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Uh, Ben-Hur, one of the granddaddies of all revenge movies. I never saw it. Good one. Uh, I am Ben-Hur. I am Ben-Hur. <laughs> I am Ben-Hur. Like Straw that? Dogs? Yeah, that one. Straw Dogs is crazy. We were just talking about it the other day. God, it was disturbing. Uh, Kill Bill 1 and 2. Yeah. Uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. I never saw that one either. It's supposed to be awesome, though. That's a good one. Uh, the Virgin Spring, which I have not seen. That was uh, a Bergman picture. Okay. And uh, The Godfather, which I didn't really see that as a revenge pick. Revenge? Yeah. And they said Death Wish is the number one. Yeah. But they didn't have Old Boy on there. Oh, wow, yeah. Which is the ultimate revenge movie. That's as revenge as it gets. Yeah. So then I trolled some other top ten lists and some of the other other ones that made the list. Memento. Yeah. Uh, Mad Max, Carrie, mm-hmm. great revenge movie. Uh, Inglorious Bastards, obviously, The Professional, The Crow, Hard Candy. Okay. Which you should see. I will. Um, Not to be confused with Jawbreaker, I'll bet. Have you ever seen that movie? Uh, no, I didn't see that. It was good, surprisingly. Was oh, yeah. Uh, I Spit on Your Grave. Yeah. Uh, Irreversible, that one was pretty hardcore. Yumi likes that movie. I haven't seen it yet. Irreversible? Yeah, she said it's really good. It's, it's tough. really tough to watch, but she said it was a good movie. It is. Well, it's a rape revenge, yeah. so those are those are always the best. What about uh, Last House on the Left? That's a rape revenge. That's like the rape revenge one. That was next on my list. Or was that before or after I spit on your grave? When was I spit on your grave? Does it have the, the date? No, I don't have the dates. Because uh, Last House on the Left, I think it was 1972. Munich? Oh, yeah, I spit on your grave. It was like 81. Was it? Yeah, Munich. That's a great revenge movie. Uh, Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan. No. Really? Un- yeah, yeah. Uh, Unforgiven, pretty good one. Uh-huh. I mean, great movie, but I wouldn't throw it in the super revenge category. Sure. And then Taken with uh, Liam Neeson. I enjoyed that. I did, too. I just can't get past Liam Neeson as an action star. You know, he has a set of uh, very specific set of skills. Mm-hmm. And they make it unwatchable. All right. So that is revenge. And it's best served what? With Liam Neeson? Piping hot. <laughs> uh, yeah. This was That was like six of ten. So there's more for you to go read. That's right. HowStuffWorks.com. Um, in the article I wrote, just type in biggest revenge or even probably just revenge in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And that's going to bring up this article. So do that. And I said search bar, which means it's time for listener mail. Or is it? It's not quite yet, Chuck. Uh, We should tell everybody about Kiva, man. We did it. We did what? 
We we met our goal in what? the million dollar march. Yes, one million dollars in loans uh, over the past how many years is going to be less three than, in October? Less than three, like two and a half. And it all started with a little jab at Colbert Nation, mm-hmm. and they're just like. Uh, they, we left them in the dust years ago. I know. When you watch that video, it's so quaint. We're like, first one to $100,000. I know. I remember everybody was like, there's no way you're going to make it to $100,000. Crazy. That's a million, dude. A million dollars loaned by our Kiva team. It takes a village, Joe. We are proud of you guys. Thank you. Yeah, seriously. And uh, I guess let's just keep going on. Let's double down. Yeah. Thank you to Glenn and Sonia, as always, yes. for helping us set our financial goals. Yeah. And we'll have a new one coming up soon. Yeah. We're not quitting. We're not like, eh, we got a million. Forget it. We're done. Right. We're going to bed. Everyone pulled their money out. Right. Go party. No, don't do that. No. Okay. Um, that's, that's for December 10th, 2012. Okay. All right. Well, so back to it, huh? All right, Josh. I'm going to call this uh, cannibalism. It's been a while, but it's about cannibalism. Okay. And I like to read good, smart ones, and this is one of those. Uh, guys, I'm a biology uh, undergrad at University of New Mexico. Go, jeez, uh, what are they? Go fighting Aztecs, let's say. I bet you, bet you're right. Uh, one of my recent projects was a computer model attempting to answer some questions regarding disease transmission through cannibalism. You close the podcast with speculation about the origin of cannibalism in humans, materialism versus idealism. Uh, though both of these arguments are compelling, they both seem to ignore just how young the human species is. The prevalence of conspecific necrog- <laughs> necrophagy. Necrophagy. <laughs> necrophagy. Let's say necrophagy. That sounds good. Yeah, man. I had that all worked out, That's too. eating the flesh of the dead. In other species, provides evidence that cannibalism is significantly older than us. And the prevalence in near species, like chimps, suggests that it may be a trait we've had since we have been a we. Nice. Uh, yeah, the, lobsters are big cannibals. Are dirty, they? Dirty things. Spiders of the sea. Uh, the materialism versus idealism argument takes on all new facets when applied to chimps. Materialism, uh, materialism doesn't hold very much water, as chimps are pretty well fed on fruits. And catching smaller simians is far easier and arguably adequate nutrition. Idealism begs the question of just how much chimps care about that sort of thing. Uh, Are they expecting some gain other than nutritional value, like spiritual or even just striking fear to the hearts of enemies? Are they even capable of this? My guess, which is just a guess, is that they kill for territorial reasons and then simply don't want to waste a large quantity of delicious dude. Hmm. So that's what he thinks. Uh, maybe we started that way, and some cultures just held on to the practice, applying spiritual reasoning after the fact. And that is smart. And that is from Micah. Thanks, Micah. That is smart. From uh, New Mexico. And if you... What is New... It was New Mexico State? Golden Gophers. No, that's Minnesota. No. Oh. The uh, Bearcats. <laughs> it's the New Mexico State Bearcats. No. Eagles. Boyas. So. <laughs> Bulldogs. No, that's our... Our school, Georgia. Uh, um, if you had your interest piqued by Micah's assessment of cannibalism, uh, you might want to go listen to our cannibalism podcast. We did an episode on it a while back, and it's one of our favorites. Pretty good. Um, and let's see, what else? If you have a great revenge story, we want to hear it. Yeah, there's lots of internet revenge going on. I was going to talk about some of it, like the people who post Oh, anonymous things. and all that? But, um, oh, I know what you mean. I don't like that. Like, oh, my boyfriend wronged me, so let me 
do photoshops of him in a bikini and make it a meme. I don't know. Okay. So I guess we're going to avoid that, everybody, because <laughs> we don't want to upset Chuck because we know he'll lie in wait for comeuppance. Um, you can send us a cool story of revenge, non-internet, please, to uh, us at Twitter. Our handle is SYSK Podcast. Um, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash stuff you should know. And you can send us a plain old fashioned email to stuffpodcast at discovery.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?